Thank you, Janet Lee. Let there be light. And wow, there was lots of melodic light from that keyboard of yours today. God bless you. That was great. And hello, everybody. So today, we are continuing on with this epic teaching, the astounding Bible revelation of the universe. And today is part 12. There are so many, many things that we want to convey and we want to cover today. And as, as always, it seems, uh, I have no assurity that I will be able to get everything in that I would like to today because just of the sheer volume of the teaching. But it will be interesting. And today we're going to uh, cover uh, a little bit a different kind of approach, uh, you know, because we are de we are developing the minds of people uh, along with the Bible uh, to understand some things in the Bible that are taught that are not just uh, uh, myth. And uh, we know that uh, even theologically there are a lot of ministerial groups that uh, have come to say in their uh, writings, teachings, and ministry that some of these terms were just used, um, you know, as uh, mythology or were just used as metaphors. Uh, but I want to, to show you today that there are a lot of terms that uh, have thought to um, not have any r reality to them, uh, but in fact, indeed, um, they have historical value. And in the course of time, some of these things that have not been understood uh, or have not thought to, to be relevant uh, are going to be understood quite differently as uh, time uh, goes on and, and these revelations uh, from the advents of time uh, begin to reveal more and more, uh, you know, uh, paleontology-wise, archaeologically-wise, philosophically-wise, and scientific-wise, and, uh, and not to mention theological-wise. So, blessed be the name of God, uh, you know... Um, the fingerprint of God in time. Uh, we want to we want to start with that subject and intertwine it uh, into some of these unusual and provocative uh, teachings that we've uh, begun to get into for some time and uh, are continuing to uh, you know uh, dig uh, uh, the the glory hole even deeper. And uh, so uh, you know uh, we. Uh, we, we are opening up the mother load, and we are bringing people to that very edge so that they can see the sparkling gold, and uh, they can know that uh, this is something that is solid, and it has real value. Now, let's, uh, let's, start, with, uh, let's start with the book of Deuteronomy, and I'm going to you know, read a lot of scripture today because uh, that just goes along with what we need to do to, to make it clear. And we'll look at uh, Deuteronomy 9, chapter 9. And uh, this gets us into the title of our fingerprint of God in time. So from the book of uh, Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 9 and verse 10, this is what it says. And the Lord delivered unto me two tablets of stone, 
written with the finger of God. And on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount of the midst of the fire in the day of assembly. Now, we know this was not an ordinary kind of fire. Uh, it was a Shikanda glory. It was a, a special invisible fire. Uh, it, it was something that could light up the invisible, could make known the unknown, could reveal the message that went beyond the vanishing point. And this is an interest to a lot of people, an interest to the people who are hungry and thirsty for the Word of God and for the deep Word. People are tired and they're weary of third-grade reiteration. They are tired and they are weary of beating the same old drum message out with the same, you know, skippy rhythm that does not open up the really melodic message of God. So here we have two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And our, our message today is the fingerprint of God in time. We, we are saying that God with his finger, and there's a terrific meaning to that, but I don't have time to get into every aspect of explanation. But in the terrific meaning of that application, there is inscribed, there is denoted, there is um, crystallized the meaning that this fingerprint of God that has been involved in writing the laws and has been involved in revelation. And we will see before we are through with this teaching here how deeply related that that is. That there corresponds as a resultant of that fingerprint writing there being left a corresponding imprint which is the fingerprint and so that by the discerning of the spirits of the gift of God of the Holy Spirit we are able to find those fingerprints and we are able to read those fingerprints to uh, to, uh, to uh, essay uh, the value of those particular fingerprints as they are relative in the time for which we are wanting them to be revealed. Because the Bible does say to, to when you make requests, when you ask of God, ask for those things uh, in the time of the latter rain, then I will send you these bright clouds and showers and, and so forth. So there is a time that we have to ask. There is a time that we read these fingerprints and we say, okay, this is relative for now. This is the message of the hour. This is the word, a part of the ten words. Uh, and, of course, the seven and the three, which are the ten, are, are, are uh, so important correspondingly uh, to the deep word of God uh, because um, when you put the, the component parts uh, together, 
They have exponential reality. And that's where we're going today, into this exponential reality uh, that is just like a mighty rushing wind filling all the house of your mind where you are thinking, all the house of the mind where you as a personal being are positioned. And this is the beauty. These tables of stone were written, and then while they were being written, while the very act of them was being written, on the mountaintop, down below the mountain, there was a not corresponding action taking place. They were involved in paganistic ideas about making an image. They tried to make it a religious thing, but it wasn't acceptable to God. And they were making an image of a calf in gold, and it angered God. And God revealed this to Moses and said to Moses, these people are rebellious. They should be, and I'm paraphrasing here, they, they should have been down there praying and praising God and been so excited for when you would be able to come down the mountain and bring the revelation. But instead, they've given up of the waiting and they've gone into this lustful naked dancing and, and lustful actions and all around about something that was in the name of a kind of religion that wasn't the leading of God. So God said to Moses, don't interfere. Let me just destroy all these people. Let me just pass them out of this time into another time. And I will raise up children from you, from your seed, and give you a ministry through your own children. And of course, Moses did not want to accept that. He had some good arguments. So then... As the Bible goes on from this point here that I just read to you, and, and I sort of paraphrase some of the scripture just to save time there, uh, you know, because uh, this was in Horeb, the, the mountain where uh, Moses was receiving this revelation, uh, and, uh, and the two uh, stones with this finger, uh, you know, uh, written uh, word of God was given, um, then Moses broke those tablets. Well, those particular tablets were written about, about love. All the ten words were about love. And um, they were um, impressions of love. But then they were broken. And in the... Tenth chapter of Deuteronomy, God is speaking in verse 2. I will write on the tablets the words that were in the first tablets, which thou breakest, and thou shalt put them in the ark. And God writes these words, and there's only two verses that go in there. Two commandments, if you want to call them that, two words 
word not just being a single word, but a word being a collection. The one being the highest word, the highest commandment, as they call it, about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second being loving your neighbor as you love yourself. But all of the rest of them did not fall under the love word, but they fell under the curse word. Because always in the ministry of the children of Israel were they shown to be divided between the curse and, and the love or the blessing, the curse and the blessing, which is the love. So the first scriptures were the blessing scriptures or the blessing revelation, the blessing word, the love word. But the second only had two of those blessing scriptures. And the rest fell under the curse. You know, thou shalt not do this. If you do, there's a punishment. You shalt not do that. If you do that, there's a punishment. Now, all of those words were written by inversion. And inversion is when you take something that is good, or it can go the other way, and it could be a love word, but when you turn it upside down, it becomes the opposite of that love word. And so the finger of God wrote those words, <clears throat> but because of the sins of the people, because of the attitude of the people, the word was written in the curse language, because the love, the blessing, was inverted. Now, it's still there to those who, who can, by the Holy Spirit, uh, invert it the other way, invert it back to where it originally was written. And then they would be able to see the original blessing. But because they did this transgression, it was inverted. So it's still written, it's still put on there, but it was inverted. And... This is apropos of when Moses taught the people to walk between these two mountains. And on the one side was the mountain of curses. On the other side was the mountain of blessings. And, and there would be a reader or readers standing there reading the curses and reading the blessings on each, uh, that went along with each mountain. So they were taught over and over again, choose you this day whom you will serve. Decide which way you will go. Show yourself and, 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 and your neighbors and the world how that you will believe or not believe. And this was very, very important for them to understand because they could not seem to get it into their hearts or their minds. And so we have today in the Old Testament an unfulfilled ten words. They have ten words there, but eight of them are inverted. And so Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the word. I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. Now how do you fulfill something that says, thou shalt not this, if you do, you're dead. You'll be stoned to death. Well, I've quoted from the Holy Manifest the saying that only God 
can handle vengeance. The scripture says vengeance belongeth to God. And the only reason it can belong to God, because only, only God can take vengeance and turn it into acts of love. He can invert it so that it becomes something good, something beautiful. That's what God can do. And when you're operating in the Spirit, that's what you can do. And so, that's what Jesus was talking about when he says that he would fulfill it because it was unfulfilled. And, and Paul said, you know, nobody can live by that law. It's, it's, it's unfinished. It's, the symphony doesn't have a cadence to it. It doesn't have the finality of the proper resolve. It doesn't come back into the tonic chord. And I'm paraphrasing that. But the, uh, these are uh, especially and precisely the points that Paul was making. And so there is a need for God's people that are ministering to stand in the gap. And they have to make up that differentiation that void, that space between the one side, which is blessings, and the other side, which is curse. And they have to shr shrink, they have to shrink the space in between there and eradicate and obliterate the one side of the coin. And the one side of the coin that says, render unto Caesar, you've got to turn that upside down, and that face you've got to put to the ground. And turn it up on the other side, and render unto God what is God's. And God is calling his people to do that. And so there are many, many things in the Bible that are in a stage of inversion. And people read things, they say, oh my God, how could that be? That just don't sound right. Well, it's right for the, the crooked, perverted, warped plane that people are living on today. People are walking on this warped mentality. And so they're given warped things that they can't understand. No one can really understand because how do you, how do you understand a curse? except to live in the realm of doom. And where is their peace in that? And where is their healing in that? And where is their joy in that? And where is their salvation in that? And where is the Holy Spirit sanctioned to give unction? to God's people in that. Well, you see, then something has to happen. Just like Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. God is speaking through Jesus by the Holy Spirit saying, I must go away. But you, my disciples, my students, my people, will do greater works than I was able to do. For John writes and says, the light of Jesus shone in darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. And Jesus said, knowing that, you shall do greater works than I have done.
And he's referring to being able to get this word out, being able to invert this word, being able to fulfill it. Now, am I saying that every single word, every single verse in the Bible needs to be inverted? I am not saying that. I'm not even close to saying that. I'm just saying, though, however, there are some key deep word teachings that are inverted and that need to have forensic spiritual Holy Ghost searchings for the fingerprint of God. And then when the fingerprint of God is found and the time is revealed for that hidden message to be revealed to the earth world and eventually to the world which is the cosmos. And so there is something beautiful about that. Something good about that. Now let's look at Exodus. Go back in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 31. And um, in Exodus 31, verse 17 through 18, it says, It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Now, in the fingerprints of the finger of God, there is in that word an inversion that most people have missed, and they're worshiping from afar because they do not have the connection, the key, to the communion with God. And they do not understand what it means about the six days and all of the, of the, the, the creation. Now listen to what it says. Because it's a sign, S-I-G-N, between me and the children of Israel. Six days the Lord made heaven and earth. Six days that was done. But on the seventh day he was refreshed. And oh, is, are there deep meanings in that word refreshed. And I've done teachings on it. And I'm not going to do one today. But it's about the Sabbath in a different way than most people have ever taught it or heard it. Because it's part of an inversion that people have not understood. Now, turn with me to the book of Luke in the New Testament. And we want to get to Luke 11. And this is a very important and very interesting scripture that everybody needs to know. And we'll look at Luke eleven fourteen, And he, referring to Jesus Christ, was casting out a devil. And it was dumb. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. Now, we can understand that there are people that are deaf and dumb. Dumb meaning not stupid, but meaning they cannot speak. 
So they call that dumb, D-U-M-B, deaf and dumb. And there was a devil that, that had to be put out. Or we have other ways of explaining that. Sometimes it's a genie. But for now, it doesn't really change the point that we're wanting to make. Because here's the point that we're wanting to make. Whatever this was that had to go out was something that had to happen in order to change a person who could not speak. And we've got a world full of people who cannot speak the revelations of God. They cannot speak the, the vital essence of the deep word of God because they don't know how to read the fingerprints of God. They don't know how to read the fingerprints of time. And so God is dealing with a ministry today, a manifested ministry. Manifest means to bring to light. And this manifested ministry is being called to stand in the gap and to do as Jesus said must be done. I didn't come to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy the Bible. I came to fulfill it, to bring to light its uttermost and deepest revelations so that the totality and the ultimacy of it could be performed, performed and understood. And so, in this thing of casting out the devil, casting out the, the genies, the demons, the demons, there is this revelation of importance that an action sometimes has to take place actually an actual real uh, depossession or an actual lattice change in the genetics to have a breakthrough so people can get out of their mental rut. Sometimes that daemon thing is just sort of a brainwashing that has happened, <coughs> accumulation over the years where people have heard and reheard and rehearsed a teaching from childhood up, and they've heard it so many times, they take it for granted that it has to be true. And when they hear something different, it's so shocking to their mind, so shocking to their system, that something has to happen to give them the gizmo and the power and the, and the, the dynamics to step up to the plate and make a home run. And so that's how God is dealing today in this message, in this teaching. He's wanting you to make a home run, to get up on the base and say, I can do it. I can have my mind brought into a sanctum of God. And remember, there are three sanctums. Holy, holy, holy. Each one of those equals a sanctum. And there were angels that were heard saying, day and night, holy, 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 sanctum, sanctum, sanctum. Oh my, God is moving by his spirit, moving by his power, moving over all the earth. His signs and his wonders 
of the word are opening the graves and the dead are coming out. People that have just been buried with dead issues, dead hopes, limited aspirations and inspirations are being opened up and set free. They're coming forth from the grave. They're coming forth from that state of slumber, mental slumber. Blessed be the name of God. And it came to pass that when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake. And the people wondered. Now there will always be people. You will always be people out there, no matter how beautiful a revelation is. No matter how enlightening, enlightening a manifest opening to the deep word is. That they will have something that is not praising of that experience that is negative and some of them said he cast casteth out devils through Beelzebub Beelzebub that's B-E-E-L-Z-E-B-U-D Beelzebub the chief of the devils and that is one of the most, the most ignorant claims but it's interesting how often that that does come up Oh, they're you know they're doing this to a higher order of uh, of of the the action of of uh, demons. This is a high order of the demonic or actions. This is the chief, the chief of the demons. And Jesus said, "Oh, that doesn't make any sense. People, come on, you know." And others were tempting him, "Show us a sign from heaven." But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, verse seventeen. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan shall be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I... Now get this, if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. This thing about the finger of God didn't end back in the book of Deuteronomy, back in the days of Moses or Abraham or David. This thing of the finger of God was an ongoing thing and was preached by Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. If I, he says, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt there's not a question anymore. There's not an inth of a mark of apprehension. It's a fact. It's a done, proven reality. No doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. Now we teach that everybody has in them the kingdom of God. Because the Bible says in, in the book of the Gospel of John, very, very clearly, and no one should question it or challenge it. Because it is just there, in chapter 1, verse 9, that the true light which lieth every man that cometh into the world, 
happens. Praise the name of God. Praise the name of God. Exciting. Wow. Okay. If I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. No doubt the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you like to be able to say that? No doubt the, fin no doubt the kingdom of God, by the finger of God, has come upon me. Wouldn't that be wonderful for every Christian to be able to say that and claim that? The kingdom of God coming upon you. There's something dynamic about that. It's, it's a clarification beyond the vanishing point. Praise the name of God. Okay. Now, we know that, that there are people out there that can't speak the message of God. They can't cause the message of knowledge to be spoken. Because first off, they're not even hearing the message of God that's, in, that's entwined with this finger of God revelation, in the finger of God manifestation. Because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing. So there is to be a hearing of this word. And I hope that you people that are hearing these, these messages that are being taught on this broadcast, that you are doing everything in your power within the, the possibility of the time that you have and the means that you have to get this message out to other people. There are so many people that need to know about these messages that we are teaching on the broadcast. And it is something that you can do. It shouldn't cost you anything or relatively not hardly anything to get that out. And it's very, very important. Now, let's look at something that goes along with that. Let's look at Revelations 22, 17. Revelations 22, 17. Okay. Now, that's the last chapter, by the way, of the book of Revelations. And this is something that, <laughs> this is just quoted frequently by, by Christians. Okay, Revelations 22, 18. Uh, we could start with, no, let's start with 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come. It doesn't say let him that, that can't hear say, Come. You've got to hear first. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. <clears throat> For I testify to every man, <clears throat> I testify to every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. Now, that's only part of it. And it's not the most damning part. The next part is the real dinger. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. So people that add to the word 
And this all falls within an understanding. They can end up with plagues. But it doesn't say that's going to kill them or that they're going to lose their soul. But it's still a serious thing. <clears throat> but people who take away, and there's different ways of taking away. One of the ways is to have is to allow the people that are under you, that you are pastoring, that you are ministering to, to be bound with a, a, a spirit of dumbness. Not stupid. Dumbness meaning <clears throat> not able to express, not able to speak the things of God. And it says, if you hold back, if you, if you cause there to be taken away, from this word, all the things that have been given, all the things that have been potentially made available for God's people. <clears throat> if you quench the spirit of prophecy, if you quench the spirit of the Holy Ghost, if you quench the spirit of revelation, if you quench the spirit of the deep word, then it says, you have done something really, really seriously bad. Because God will take away your part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. Now, as to this part about someone says, well, if you change anything, you read a scripture and you just change the, how you read that scripture, then you are changing the word. You're adding to the word. You know, it's time for people to get get beyond the spirit of stup stupidity. How many people understand, and I've preached this before, that when you read this very scripture here in the book of Revelations, that it has been transliterated from the Greek to English, and they could not make this a sensibly understood verse or verses without adding the verbs and the kinds of words that they have to add that is not in the, the Greek the same as it is in the English. It's not cognate, not cognitive. So they have to add words that are not even in the original Greek. And by adding these words that are not in that are not in the original Greek, yeah, they are adding to the word. But they are not adding to the word in the sense that they are changing it from trying to get the point across to be intelligently understood in English any more than when someone is 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 doing like what the disciples have done, like what Paul has done, like what Jesus has done, taking the Old Testament or the New Testament and begin to explain and begin to interpret the, the meaning and the deeper side of those meanings. They all did that. And if you try to take that away from the Bible, then you are sealing up the things that belong to God's people and, and it could get your name kicked out of the book of life. Wow. Wow. 
So we've got to be careful. The message I'm trying to give you, be careful. When these deep things are brought out, out don't, don't get in this mentality, oh, oh my, I think that's, that, that's maybe uh, demonic, or that's, that, I, that, that can't be real. There can't really be this or that. And you'll see in a few minutes what I'm trying to say. Now, uh, first less off, off, you know, there are so many things that people do not understand. They do not understand how that the, the Spirit of Christ came upon this lump of clay that was called Adam and entered that lump of clay and, and, and caused it to have a living soul. But, you know, in the Bible, uh, in, in the book, you know, of the Word of God, um, Luke 3.38 uh, there is a perfect understanding uh, when you go through the genetics. When you go through the genetics, that's important to go through the genetics. And when you when you take and you you look at at that scripture, and and like in the thirty sixth verse of the of the third chapter of Luke, where it starts talking about uh, giving a a genetic um, uh, genealogy, uh, so that so that it can connect to 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 Eve and and to Jesus, uh, pardon me, not Eve, but to uh, Mary and Jesus Christ, and it talks about the son of Noah, which was the son of Lamech, which was the son of um, Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Malaliel, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Saith, which was the son of Adam which was the Son of God. Adam was the Son of God. That's a capital S, that's a capital G in my book. Son of God. So when it talks about the, the, the being refreshed, God being refreshed, there is an incredible fingerprint revelation there that people have not, have not read because some of those scriptures have been inverted. And they've gotten themselves into, into a contradiction. How they worship. Now there's a scripture that says, Thou shalt not honor one day above another. I think that sometimes when people think they are uh, pronunciating and emphasizing one day, and that being their religious day, that it's not turning out to be the almighty fantastic act that they think it is. Because what they're basically doing is saying, here's one day that we worship God, the rest of them we worship ourselves, Or we do our own thing. And they limit by that, just by that act of how they say it. Now, I'm not trying to knock the Sabbath. I'm not trying to put down the Sabbath. But I'm saying there is a deep side to the meaning of that that people have not perceived. Because it's part of the fingerprint of God. And one of these days, I'll preach the whole message on it. Wow. Wow. Okay. Now, let's look at this in Romans 13.12. Let's go to Romans 13.12. I, I felt led of the Lord before I get into this other part of the Revelation. I just got to cover some of these uh, biblical things that are so so important, and in Rom Romans 
Um, 13.12, it says, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of God. The night is far spent. What does that really mean? Well, time, the fingerprint of time, of God, the fingerprint of things happening go way further back in time than what people who are trying to preach this thing called intelligent design are saying. Does that make the evolutionist right? No. But does that mean that there is not something else that is correct, that is neither part of the intelligent design teachings or neither part of the evolutionist? Absolutely. Absolutely it does. Because there are a lot of things that some of your <coughs> so-called Christian scientists that are involved in intelligent design <coughs> have taught that are just absolutely unreasonable and do not make sense at all. Not scientifically, not technologically, not scripturally. And there's you know, a whole lot of problems that the people that are into to evolution have. But the reason there is the problem that there is, the reason there are difficulties, is because the ministry has not been able to read the fingerprint of God. Things that were written by the very finger of God, that are the very destiny for destinatas, has not been brought into the spectacular, the spectacular manifesting that needs to be brought forth into. Wow. And so, there is a time that has happened called the night. And it's far spent. It goes back eons of time. You know, not too long ago, they discovered 30 miles off the west coast of Surat in the Gulf of Cambay, northwestern India, that 30 miles out from the shore, there was a buried city down in the depths of the ocean. And they started discovering that there was aged pieces that they found of, 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 of wood and other kinds of various implements which actually were older, were actually older than the Sumerian civilization by thousands of years. We're talking about going back to something like over 9,000 years B.C. And There are people that just want to deny that. They just don't want to accept that. 
But that's, that's just one discovery. There are others. There's another dis, uh, discovery out in the middle of a desert. No one ever, no one lived there. And they've dated that going back 12,000 years. With a complete temple complex. As archaeology is expanding and more and more places in the world are being dug and, and looked into, there are some incredible revelations coming up that people just don't know what to think or to say or to do about them. And I think sometimes that people just need to understand Many of these things are actual, actually covered in the Bible and could be related intellectually and spiritually if people could only understand and know how to read the fingerprints of God and the fingerprints of time. Wow. Very, very important. Very, very interesting. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. It, it is time, like this, the song service today, let there be light. It is time for there to be light. It is time to let there be light. God wants us to know these things. He's planned for us to know these things so that we could, you know, get out of the, the ignorant aspect the Bible says that all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. And whatsoever uh, does make manifest is light. That is the kind of thing that is really truth. That is the kind of thing that is powerful. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 8, uh, 16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him. And he is before all things, and by all things does consist. By him all things consist. And he is the head of the body in the church, who is the, the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, and in all things he that in all things he might have preeminence. Wow. The scripture is so powerfully revelated. It, it, it's just a shame that there are so many people that have, have not been able to get into it, have not been able to apply it, have not been able to understand uh, the fingerprints of God. They, they just don't have the message. And God is wanting, wanting to give that, that message. He's wanting to reveal that message. He's wanting, you know, the people of God to be set free. Okay, now let's move on. We've got a lot to cover here. Turn with me to the first chapter of Romans. Now I'm going to try to move through this as fast as possible because I have so much to cover. But uh, we just have to do the best that we can. 
All right. So the first chapter of Romans. That's right after the book of Acts. And let's look at um, at Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 19. And here's, here's what it says. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So when we read, as uh, you know, as uh, I read before, in the second chapter of, of Genesis, after the list of one, two, three, four, five, six, yom, yoms, which can mean 24-hour days, they can, and it can also mean months or years, or they can mean generations. And in this case, it says what they mean. Because in the verse 4, after those list of, of, of days, it says, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heaven and the earth. Now, get this one. I've preached on this heavily different times. And every plant, E-V-E-R-Y, every plant of the field, before, B-E-F-O-R-E, it was in the earth. And every herb of the field, before it grew. Now, we're not talking about seed. Because we're talking about the plants. These plants were already visualized. They, are, they already virtually existed. These um, herbs already were visualized. They already, you know, virtually existed. And this was before they grew. So there's a place in this state of virtuality in which they don't grow to become a certain size to be called a plant. They don't grow to become a certain size to be called a herb. But they're not a seed. They already instantly have entered that state of being a plant. Instantly have entered that state of being a herb. But they only exist, as it says in Romans, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. That is a way of looking at what is physically on the earth and being able to, the, to invert it and take it back to the invisible things that were made by God. So that there is this capability of inversion. You can go backwards or you can go the other way. You can look at the invisible and see what is yet to come forth that is going to be physical, that has not yet been planted on the earth, that has not yet grown on the earth, that has not yet been given a position on the earth. And so this inversion works both ways, from the invisible to the physical, or from the physical to the invisible. And either way is inversions of going one way to the other. And that's part of this Telesthesian uh, prophet ministry that is able to go in and see those things 
and and this helps a person tremendously to be able to read the fingerprints of God and time. Wow. It is absolutely awesome. Well, why would it be that that in this particular case, those particular kind of plants, those particular kind of herbs had not been planted on earth? Because, the Bible says, it had not yet rained. And these particular plants that it's talking about didn't mean that there was nothing green on the earth or nothing of any kind of a, uh, of a foliage, but, but those particular kind needed for there to be rain. And that's what they were being held back for. And we have to read the fingerprint of God to see some of those things because that totally ties into a lot of revelation. Let's look, while you're in Romans, don't lose your place, at Romans 3.19. Romans 3.19. Here's what it says. And this is important. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Now here is a fingerprint that I have preached and preached and preached on, and I found it very difficult for, for a good number of people to understand. But according to this word here, is that one of the things that has to happen, it has to happen before the, 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 the revelation of salvation. And that is, first off, people have to know that they're sinners can't talk to somebody about getting saved and your and Jesus forgiving your sins if they don't even believe they're a sinner and they don't understand why they would be a sinner. So one of the incredible revelations that had to happen is that in verse 19 now we know that whatsoever things the law saith it saith to them who are under the law. And why that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's the plan of the law, the one that got inverted. Because now the Tree of Life program got changed. That didn't work because of, of, of the transgression. And we'll get into that just a touch. That didn't work. So what does that mean? Well, that means then the thing that has to happen is the whole world has to understand the guilt and what the guilt is. Someone said, well, I always understood that the guilt is, is because Adam and Eve sinned and then we're paying for, the, for what they did. Absolutely not. That teaching is hypocritical. That teaching is not even Bible. I know people read and they say, this is what it says. What it says can only really be understood when it's inverted. And when you're reading the fingerprints of God, because you have to take the whole context. You can't reach in, pull out one little part and say, now here's what it says. Because when you read something, if it doesn't agree with the entire whole word of God, and there's something that makes it to be offset and not agree, then something's wrong with that interpretation. Blessed be the name of God. And, and so all the world may be guilty. 
Therefore, by the verse 20, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You have to have the knowledge of sin. And then we're going to see in a little bit who's it, who, who it was that was called to make the sacrifice that was necessary so that this, this, this guilt, the world may become guilty before God and so that all flesh could understand that, that no flesh could be justified in God's sight, that the whole plan was really about having first the knowledge of sin. They have to have the knowledge that they sinned. If they don't have the knowledge that they sinned, then there is no provision for the salvation to eliminate that sin. Or, let's say it this way, there could be a provision, but there's no way to come into that provision because there's a mind block. Okay. All right. Verse 23, for all, A-L-L, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and come short. There's no exception. Well, of course, you have to understand who the all are. Well, the all's talking about all the people. But then you have to understand, well, where did all these people come from? Well, they were born. There's a genealogy. Yeah, well, who, who that, that got this first bunch of, of humans that are part of this all, and I'm not talking about the, the primitives that didn't even have souls, the, the, the pre-Adamic. I'm talking about from Adam on, who, who, where did they come from? Well, the Bible says in the 12th chapter of the book of, uh, of, of Revelations that one-third of the stars, and that's what people were calling the book of Job then, one-third of the stars were cast down to earth. And so that's the all. All of those people who used to be, as we teach it in the manifest, Ophanim, they have to be able to understand that they did something in heaven in their conferring with Lucifer in their whole programs of how they handled it. That was a sin, not just a folly. It was a sin. They committed folly, yes, but the folly, the greatest folly, was not recognizing that they had sinned. So, what had to happen? Look at, look at Romans chapter 5. And this is really important. Verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. It's only one man that brought this revelation to the world for all time that man had sinned. Only one man did that. And that was the first man with a soul. Not the first man on the earth, but the first man with a soul. That was Adam. The Adam man. Now there was, there was another Adam and that was his wife. And in the fifth chapter of Genesis, God says, And God called them, or God called their name Atom. God called their name Atom. So 
Eve also had the name Adam. But in this case, it's very clear that it's the man that it's talking about. One man. One man. Let's get it. Wherefore. Now, the word wherefore is a very important word. It said, here's the explanation. This is the because. This is the causation. This is the reason. This is the why. This is the how. One man. One man. By one man. Sin entered into the world. And death by sin. And so death passed on to all men. Why? Why did death pass on to all men? Because of something that Adam and Eve did? No. That's not what it says. Here's what it says. And death passed on to all men, for that all have. That's past tense. All have sinned. It's a done deal. Well, where did they sin if, if Adam was the first man and, you know, he's just getting started here with the population? How did all the rest of the people of the world that the Bible says must, must come into the, the understanding of their guilt? The whole world has to come into that. How did that happen? <coughs> it happened by that act at that moment of, of, of Adam making this tremendous revelation when he reached out to save his wife, uh, Eve, who had eaten of the forbidden fruit, and he also ate of it so he could take on her sins. Just like Jesus on the cross. He took on our sins. That's the whole story in Isaiah and, and many other uh, scriptures. And that's what this scripture is saying. Wherefore, by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so, and so, and so, death passed on all men. This is the reason for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. It doesn't have any reconciliation. You can't put it into a plan. You can't put it in, in, into a follow-up of circumstances or retribution. Because it's not applied. It had to be applied. And, and so Adam applied it. Wow. Now when it talks in the 14th verse about Adam's transgression, it's talking about, about Eve. <clears throat> because in the book of 1 Timothy 3.13-14, it clearly says that Adam was not deceived. Adam the man was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Therefore, she committed transgression. And you can look that up. First Timothy 3 through 13, Timothy 3, 13 through 14. Okay, now let's go on here. Verse 15. But not as the offense, so is also the free gift. Now, the, 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 all, the offense is, is something totally different than the gift. But the actions of how that they were put forth has a similarity. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, which that had to happen, because we just read up here. We just read, by one man, by one man, 
sin entered into the world and death by sin. That had to happen. Why? Because all had sinned. So that offense that brought on the recognition of sin and death is being compared to the gift by grace whereby one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many, verse 16, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to, one to condemnation, but the free gift is many offenses unto justification. So, one person had to bring in the condemnation, and the other person had to bring in the justification. You don't get justification if you don't first have condemnation. Condemnation has to be understood. People, the whole world, I read it to you, the read the scriptures, has to understand about this thing that the whole world has got to come to understand they have sinned. And by one man, that that condemnation was made known and the understanding of death. But by another man, in a, di in a different presence, they had to understand justification so that they could get forgiveness of that condemnation. Now those things aren't just simply understood. The, the scriptures here are sort of complicated to read. But you've got to get into the fingerprint of God. Because you can't begin to get into the revelation of the ministry of the wheels, spoken of in Ezekiel 1 and, and, and Ezekiel 10, which are about the Ophan and the Ophanim, until you understand the whole part of this sometimes almost subliminal, subliminal message spoken as a fingerprint, which is so easy to not see it because you almost have to get into the invisible things of God and invert them so that the plants and the herbs all of a sudden are planted. Wow. That is so very, very very important. So absolutely important. And so in Romans 6, 4 through 5, we have the baptism of water, of death. That had to happen. You had to have the baptism of death. Death, you had to have the condemnation. You had to go under the water, showing that you were do dealing with it. You were, you were dealing with this condemnation. You had to be planted in death before, by the sim symbolism of, and the metaphorical aspect of that, that action, you could be raised up out of the water of that baptism as a symbolism unto life. And that's Romans 6, 4 through 5. Wow. Let's look at Romans seven thirteen. This is important. What was this whole thing of, of, of this thing about sin being made known, the condemnation being made known? Well, here, let's read it. Was then that which is good made death unto me? This thing about what happened with this one man, uh, you know, brought this revelation of sin and, and because all had sinned and, and, and by that came the understanding of death. 
So was that then which is good made death unto me, uh, made uh, good unto me? You know, is it a good thing if we just leave it there? If we just find out we're sinners? If we just find out that, that we're under condemnation? Is that by itself good? No, it's a necessary thing that has to be done. But that isn't the ultimate good. The ultimate good is that once you know the condemnation, once you know the sin, is that now you have the knowledge to be able to, to, to ask God to do something about it. And that's where there's no other name given among uh, men on earth whereby a person may be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin. I got that. I want you to get it. Sin, that it might appear sin. You mean there was a time that people sinned, but it didn't appear to be sin? No, yeah, it just appeared to be a folly. They just, the angels thought they had committed folly. They didn't think they'd done anything all that bad. Even though later, one-third of the stars, one-third of these angels get cast down to earth, which are the Ophanim. Because the consequences of it was definitely sin. And that's why they were allowed to be cast down to the earth by Satan's dragon tail. Wow. Wow. But sin that it might appear sin. That's the problem with a lot of the world sometimes. People are sinning, but to them it doesn't appear to be sin. And so they're not going to be interested in, in repentance. They're not going to be interested in asking Jesus Christ to forgive them their sins if they don't, in their own mind, feel that they have sinned. And so there was a tremendous ministry that Adam had. He had to make his wife Eve know what she had done was sin. He had to make her understand, I took this on in order to save you. And before God, I made myself bare as though I was in your camp because I did come into your camp in order to be that you might be saved but sin that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful oh you mean that there was a whole plan to make sin to become exceedingly sinful absolutely and as I gave you that scripture, which is so absolutely important in Romans three nineteen through 23, that all the world may become guilty before God. The whole world had to become guilty before God. Yeah, but these people weren't even on, on planet on the earth yet. Well, they, they were virtually like the plants and the herbs that existed before they were planted on the earth because there was a time. See, here's our fingerprint of time here. And they're just like that. They were all waiting. They all knew that they had to come to earth. They all knew they had to be planted on earth. But they existed. And they were recognized as they were recognized in the book of Genesis there that they existed before they were ever, ever planted on earth. All these spirits and souls, they existed before they were planted on earth. On earth. They had committed sin before they came down to bodies. And they all had sinned. So even though they were in that state, it's no different than when Jesus, after the cross, during the time of the resurrection, before he arose in the resurrection, he went down in, into a lower paradise, which was, which was upper Hades. And he preached to the souls which were sometimes disobedient. 
That's in the book of Peter. So he went into the spirit world. There are times you've got to go into the invisible world, the invisible world, in order to bring about the things that are to be manifested in the physical world. And that's what he did. Wow. And so as we begin to see this, and, and the light of this comes into, into, into understanding and fruition, we understand that the commandment had to become exceedingly sinful. There had to be a revelation, an exceedingly extreme revelation, that what you have done isn't just folly, angels. What you have done is sin. And you have to know that all have sinned, A-L-L, all have sinned. And the Bible did make one exception. All had sinned except Jesus Christ, who was the archangel over all those angels. And someone says, oh, he's not an archangel. Well, you don't even know your scripture then, do you? Just read in Thessalonians. It says, he himself is coming with the voice. He himself, his voice of an archangel. It's Bible. Okay. Wow. So, now, let's look at 5.12. Romans 5.12. I've got to hustle here. Got to get through this because I've got a lot to cover. 5.12. Okay. Says. Um, and and um, let's, let's repeat it, you know, just this, uh, at least this, this one more time. 5.12 and 14. Um, we read 5.12. Uh, we read 13. Let's read 14. Where, there, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Now, why did it say similitude? Because it's talking about the man here. And so he took on the similitude, just like Jesus took on the similitude of our sins, although he himself had never sinned. He took on the similitude. Uh, Moses, um, pardon me, Adam took on the similitude of Eve's sin, though he himself was not deceived and therefore not in transgression. According to, to uh, Timothy, uh, chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, it's incredible. Let's go on. He took on not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure, who is the figure of him that was to come. You say, write something down and tell me how much this is going to cost. What's the figure there? Well, the figure is $100. Okay, that's what it's going to cost. That's the figure. Yes, it is. Okay, write down a figure here. And what, what is that? Yeah, this person, Adam, was the figure of him that was to come. 100%, 100%. It's the figure of him that was to come. Wow. You get that? Are you getting that, people? The figure of him that was to come? He is the figure of him that was to come. Wow. Incredible. Now, look uh, with me to uh, Exodus 20. We're just about through this, and I'll get on this other part. Exodus 20. Okay? So here we go in Exodus 20. Now, here, here is what we want, Exodus 20 and verse uh, 24, okay? Exodus 20, verse 24. 
Here's what it says. An altar of earth shalt thou make unto me, and thou shalt sacrifice thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen in all the places where I record my name. And I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a record that's been recorded. And it was the plan of God for these messages to be recorded. In all of the places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. There's all these places that are, are, are places that are full of blessings that the minute that you open up these incredible grandeur, uh, um, uh, in-depth places of God, secret abodes of God, there are blessings just waiting to come upon you. Because that's what the Word of God says. In all the places where I record my name, I will come unto thee. And, and, and every place that, that people have gone and they've made an altar and they made a, a signature of the work of God, there was a story there. There was more to the story than was just on the surface. And, and, and you know, the Bible tells other parts of that story. It tells about it in Ezekiel and Daniel, about this man who was dressed in linen and he wore this, this writer's inkhorn by his side. And, you know, his job was to go out and record the happenings and the things that occurred on earth and to keep a record. And, and these kind of things are available to us by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Spirit. They're available to us. There's a figure, there's a, there's, a, there's a reference. And as we begin to discover these things, then it's incredible what we can do. Absolutely incredible. And there is this thing that we have to do. We have to render every part of our life unto God. We render every aspect of our life unto God. And as we render all these things unto God, then we are able to apply these things that have been written. And how, how do we get to that point? Well, here's how you get to that point. There's something that has to be removed. There are things that are covering up the reality. There are things that, that are, are, are making it so that we can't see. And, and uh, you know, uh, the Bible is asking us questions, like in Job 38, you know. It says, Canst thou, Job 38, uh, verse 32, Canst, canst thou bring forth Mazoreth? Now, we're going to talk... Uh, I don't know if we'll have time today, but we're going to talk about the Zodiac. Well, this word Mazoroth, M-A-Z-Z-A or M-A-Z-Z-A-R-O-T-H, is the word in the Bible for, uh, for, for, for this, this understanding of, of, the, of the, um, the Zodiac. So when you get to talking about the 12 signs of the Zodiac, which affect our seasons here on earth, it's Bible. It's Bible. And, and don't let someone come along and say, oh my, oh my God, you're getting into astrology. Oh, you better be careful. Don't, don't let these people come along and steal from you because what they're doing is they are causing people to become dumb. They're causing people to be afraid to speak. They're causing, they're, they're causing the word of God to be sealed up. And the Bible says you better not do that. You're messing with something that could cause your name to be taken out of the Lamb's Book of Life. You better not do that. 
You better leave these revelations open because they're meant to come forth. The Bible says the seven thunders that have been secret since the beginning of the world are going are to be revealed to his servants, the prophets, and they're going to speak this word, and they're going to reveal this word to the entire whole world. Are you hearing me, people? This is absolutely important and absolutely essential for, for this, this revelation. So now, here, let's read on. We're, we're in the book of Job, chapter 38, verse 32. Canst thou guide our tourists with his sons? Someone says, well, I don't even know what that's talking about. <laughs> well, aren't you glad that there's a ministry that's revealing this thing about the sons of our tourists and the sons of Enoch and revealing what Jesus had to say about it and what the Bible has to say about it because it's all part of the revelation of the fingerprint of God and, and the fingerprint of time. And, and, and that's, that's what's going on. That's why this ministry is so absolutely important. Can you lift up the voice of the clouds, uh, you know, and, and that the abundance of the waters may cover you? Can, can you can you make it so this voice that has been that has been uh, you know stunted, that has been bound, that the that the demonic powers and the 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 the, 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 the forces uh, of the demons of the genetic uh, things and codes have stopped people from being able to speak this truth can you lift up your voice so that those voices will be able to speak those people can be loosed so they can begin to speak and begin to hear the word of truth into their ears and and and, and increase their faith that will move mountains yes you can can you lift up the voice to the clouds? Yes, you can. Verse 35, can you send lightnings that they may go forth? Well, the more that you're understanding about the rod ministry, you see that different men of God have used the rod ministry. Moses, Abraham, David, Jacob, on and on and on, they used the rod ministry. God wants us to understand this power of divining that we have. It's not the power of, of witching we don't need to get into the, in this thing of witching. Witching is totally different from divining. Witching can belong to the evil side or to the, to the psychic side. It doesn't have to be totally evil. It can just be psychic. But it's still not by the div div divining of the Holy Spirit. When you divine by the Holy Spirit, you're into a rod ministry that is absolutely incredible. Can, can you send lightnings? Yeah, that's the sons of thunder. That's what they always have something to do with the lightning. You can send lightnings. You, those lightnings can reach all the way across the world to heal people. They can reach all the way across destinations to set people free from their mental bindings. Blessed be the name of God. It's exciting. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts? It's not on the outside. You're not wearing it like a, a coat or, or, or like, like a, a, a necklace. It's in the inward parts. Who has given understand, understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds in wisdom? Can you number the clouds in wisdom? Who can stay the, bottle, the bottles of heaven? Yeah, we talked about that in our last couple of meetings. You know, about, about, about like David when he cried and his tears went into the bottle the bottles are being opened the message is being opened the forces of darkness the, the genies are being told get out of there we're going to read this message we're going to let it be known to the world and the genies are being forced out just like when Jesus went out and with the finger of God he preached the kingdom of God and he cast out the genies he cast out the demons 
Who can number the clouds in wisdom? Or who can stay the bottles of heaven? And when, when the, the dust groweth into, into hardness and the clots are, are cleaved together, on and on and on, all the things that saying, can you do this? And then, this really goes along with our teaching, chapter 41 of, of Job, uh, Job. Canst thou draw out the Levitican with a hook? Or his tongue with a cord? Which thou lettest down? There's a, a point in which you're looking into this bottle. And you see a genie in there. Or you see a devil in there. And you've got to put a hook down in that bottle. You've got to get a hold of that, of that demon or that genie. And you've got to pull it out of that body, out of that bottle, and set free those people that are bottled up and bound. Because God is moving by his spirit, moving in all the earth. Moving in all the earth. And the song says, you know, talks about that it's beginning to rain. It's beginning to rain. And that's, that's what's happening, ladies and gentlemen. Bible says in Joel 2.23, it talks about, Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately. We've got a lot of moderation out there, a lot of moderate things. But, but, he will cause to come down in the first month. There's this first revelation. There's this first incredible firstborn nutrition in which the former and the latter rain are coming down together in one big, huge swoop like a mighty rushing wind of the Holy Ghost. And it's going to fill the people for once and for all. Wow. Okay, real fast. Psalm, uh, Isaiah. Isaiah 57. And we're going to look at this. And this is taking power over the Leviathan. You know, he mentioned about, can you put a hook down there and get that Leviathan out? And that's, that's the next big subject here that we, we want to talk about. Okay, Isaiah 57. And, 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 and here's what it says, verse 14. And say, and, and say thou, or thou shalt say, Cast ye up, cast ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. This is the moment of casting up. This is the moment of making a declaration, a solemn assembly before God. And this is the time that these stumbling blocks that are all through the Bible need to be removed by inverting them so that people can read the fingerprints of God and of time. This is the day. This is the moment. Let's look at Isaiah 58, 6 to 8. Isaiah 58, 6 to 8. Okay. Now this is an important scripture. Isaiah 58, 6 to 8. Is... This is not the fast that I have chosen. Here is the fast that I have chosen. To loose the bands of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. And to let the oppressed go free. That you might break every yoke. It is not to deal thy bread just for yourself. I'm paraquoting it here paraphrasing it. 
But is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? Is it not to bring the poor that are cast out to the house? When thou seest the naked and thou covereth him, that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh, then, I get this, then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. And thou shalt call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger. Now see, there are people into the finger ministry, but it's not the finger ministry of God. They're pointing fingers at people. They're selecting out individuals of racial, of, 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 of racial differences or of philosophical differences. And they're pointing the finger at them and they're judging them. And they're criticizing them. And they're condemning them. And that is not the kind of finger that God is dealing with. He says, I don't want to see you doing that. That is the wrong kind of finger ministry. I want you to get into the finger of God ministry. I want you to get into the, the, the finger of time ministry. I want you to be delivered. Because he says, when you do that, and you, you draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul. Then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness shall be as noonday. Is that inversion? Yes, it is. That is turning darkness into the noon of day, the brightest time of the day. It's turning it upside down, inside out, inverting it. Wow. 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 And thou shalt rise in obscurity, and thy darkness shall be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continuously, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. Well, I didn't get a chance to get into all those mysterious things that I was made, laying this whole profile out to explain how that we must not judge things that are in the fingerprint of God. But next week, I'm going to get into it, and they are going to be splendous, absolutely incredible. And I thank God for all of you listeners. And now I want to pray for you, our Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Reach out over these broadcast waves and begin to touch the bodies and the minds of these people. Heal them, O oh God. Cause your healing power to go through them right now this instant and heal them and set them free. Deliver them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We love you. We love you. God bless you. There's a new blog on, by the way. You might want to get on and read it. Good day and goodbye.